I thank God for all who have led us in worship today. It's great to be with you all in person and great to have all of you worshiping online with us as well. Today we will conclude our sermon series called Rediscovering Church. I hope that it has been of some help to you. Next Sunday we will begin a new sermon series called Advent Surprises. But for now, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 22. I'll read from the New Revised Standard Version, and the title of today's sermon is Church People. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful in my ministry. I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will pay him back for his deeds. You also must beware of him, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained in Corinth. Trophimus I left ill in Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. Lord, help us all to do your word. In the name of Christ our Savior, I pray. Amen. One church I formerly pastored was located in a burgeoning mid-sized city that had a growing homeless population. Since our church building was downtown, we were uniquely situated to minister to our homeless neighbors. What's more, the church had built a gymnasium in the 1980s, complete with a spacious downstairs area featuring locker rooms. There were restrooms, showers, and plenty of space for bedding, making it an ideal spot for an emergency shelter. So we decided to partner with two local nonprofits to provide homeless persons with a warm shelter 
a place to sleep, and a hot meal on freezing winter nights. The first few nights we hosted the ministry, it was a learning experience. We had to iron out certain details pertaining to how the volunteers served the meal, the role of the security personnel who were there to keep everybody safe, and the best time to close the door for the night so that people weren't going out and coming in at all hours. Yet the most prominent and pressing issue was a bicycle problem. Several of the homeless men used bicycles for transportation. They would ride their bikes to the church, bring their bicycles inside into the stairwell and leave them on the steps overnight while they stayed with us. As a result, bikes were laying all over the interior steps when our church volunteers went downstairs to take the meal to the men. Well, members of the Sunday school class that had volunteered came to me voicing their concerns. Someone might get hurt tripping on a bicycle, they said. It's a liability, they said. It's probably a fire code violation, they said. Can't they park them somewhere else, they said. Their concerns were legitimate. But I felt it was a small hurdle to clear within the big picture of providing an emergency homeless shelter on freezing winter nights. I also knew that some folks in the church did not want homeless people in our building to begin with, and I was concerned they might seize the bicycle controversy as an opportunity to rally the opposition. You know, church people. Church people at their best can represent the very best of humanity. But church people at their worst can represent the worst. I'm just keeping it real like Paul did. He was dealing with a mixed bag in the early churches. Take Demas, for example. Demas is named as an associate of Paul. In Colossians 4, Demas is listed among Paul's co-workers in the gospel in Philemon 24. But in 2 Timothy we read, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Demas forsook Paul because he fell in love with this present world instead of fixing his heart on God's kingdom church people. Paul further mentions Alexander the coppersmith who had done him great harm and had opposed his message. Paul warns Timothy to stay away from him. Apparently Alexander was a troubled Christian because in 1 Timothy 1 Paul says by rejecting conscience certain persons have suffered shipwreck in the faith among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander whom I have turned over to Satan so that they may learn not to blaspheme. In short, Alexander had been a believer in the good news, but Paul told Timothy he was bad news. Church people. Sometimes we modern-day Christians assume the early church was perfect, ideal, utopian. 
perhaps because Acts 2 says all who believed were together and had all things in common. They spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. But shortly thereafter, in Acts chapter 5, two members of the church tried to deceive the apostles about a matter of money, and they died on the spot. Then in the next chapter, Acts 6, the Greek church people complained to the Hebrew church people because the Greek widows were being neglected in the distribution of food. So they had to work out that issue. Paul, for his part, dealt with all manner of problems in his churches. One man was sleeping with his stepmom. Two women were constantly at each other's throats. Some wealthy believers were looking down on poor believers. Some were fighting about which foods were holy to eat. Some were suing each other in a court of law. Some were dividing the church into factions. Paul says in verse 16 that no one supported him at his first defense when he was on trial. Everybody ghosted him church people but he adds in verse 11 get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful in my ministry this is noteworthy because there was history between Paul and Mark according to Acts 15 Mark had deserted Paul and Barnabas in Pamphylia rather than accompanying them in their gospel work there. Sometime after that, Barnabas wanted to bring Mark on another mission trip, but Paul refused to bring Mark along because he had abandoned them the last time around. The disagreement about whether to take Mark on the mission trip became such a sticking point between Paul and Barnabas that they went their separate ways. Barnabas took Mark to Cyprus, while Paul took Silas to Syria. Did you know there were personality conflicts and personnel disputes in the New Testament church? Church people. But by the time 2 Timothy was written, Paul had evidently come around to viewing Mark as useful in his ministry. This shows that church people are complicated. It's not that some are bad and others are good, but that we are all both. I say we because I'm one of those church people too. I have sometimes said things and done things that have not reflected well on the gospel and may have even caused somebody else to shake their head and say, church people. Each of us church people have within us some good and some bad, some righteousness and some unrighteousness, some holiness and some unholiness, some saintliness and some sinfulness. Paul expresses this inner conflict in Romans 7. I can will what is right, he says, but I cannot do it. I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, Evil lies close at hand. 
for I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. In other words, as the 16th century German reformer Martin Luther taught, Christians are simultaneously righteous and sinful. We are righteous through Christ, and we are sinful in our flesh. That's why there's a pastor I met in South Carolina who made a habit of greeting his congregation the same way every Sunday morning. He'd say, good morning, saints. And they'd say, good morning. Then he'd say, good morning, sinners. Good morning. It's only fitting since we are all both saints and sinners. That's what it means to be church people. Regrettably, Christians from the first century to the present day have sometimes allowed our sinfulness to utterly overwhelm our saintliness. Church people have committed atrocities from the Crusades to the Inquisition to the transatlantic slave trade, to the trail of tears, to the abuse of women and children, to the persecution of Jewish people, and more. We must lament these egregious sins and repent with all wherewithal. At the same time, church people have also done incalculable good from inventing hospitals to founding orphanages, to starting schools, to reforming prisons, to abolishing slavery, to leading civil rights and anti-apartheid movements, to running soup kitchens, to welcoming refugees, to supporting Jewish people amid their persecution, and more. In fact, since anti-Semitic sentiment is swelling of late, it's important for us as Christians to stand up and voice our love and support for our Jewish neighbors. Do you know who taught me to love my neighbor and do to others as I would want them to do to me long before I read these commands of Jesus in Scripture? Church people. Do you know who taught me to care for people of different skin colors, different nationalities, and different languages? Church people. Do you know who taught me to care for people who are homeless or impoverished? Church people. What distinguishes church people is not any inherent morality, but rather Christ working in us. The inspiration, influence, and indwelling of Christ in our lives is the key to living into our saintliness more than our sinfulness. After going back and forth in Romans 7, Paul finally writes, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Likewise, he says in 2 Timothy 4, 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. As church people, Christ works in us 
and with us and through us to save us from sin and evil and to amplify our righteousness and our love. No Christian is morally or spiritually flawless, but all authentic Christians are morally and spiritually better than we would have been without Jesus' inspiration, influence, and indwelling. When church people actually walk the way of Jesus, as we are theoretically supposed to do, we make a holy impact on others, and we make a holy impact on society as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Longtime religion reporter Bob Smetana recently wrote about how vital churches are, not just to believers, but to society as a whole. Since many churches, including our dynamic church, do charitable work and provide vital services to the broader community, Smetana asks, if all the religious groups in your community disappeared, who does the food pantry? Where does the AA meet? When there's an emergency and you need a shelter, where do you set up? Where does the voting go on? He notes that thousands of well-trained volunteers have recently been working disaster relief in Florida in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. They're cooking food, he writes. They're cleaning out all the debris. They're taking trees off people's houses. They're doing all this work for which they have volunteered their time. A great many of them, of course, are church people. If churches continue to close due to the ongoing decline in church affiliation across our nation, Smetana asks, what's going to replace those food pantries or counseling programs or homeless services? These are vital questions for our society in which the church is often devalued and publicly maligned. It seems to me that many fixate on the negative publicity the church receives, much of which is admittedly deserved, without paying any attention at all to the prodigious good the church does. Some even argue that organized religion has done more harm than good. When asked about this common claim, Smetana admitted, religion is only as good as the people in it. In other words, Christianity is only as good as church people. The Apostle Paul knew this after recounting the regrettable actions of certain church people, he finally said to Timothy, the Lord be with your spirit. This simple benediction is the key to the Christian life and the key to the church's witness. If we operate with a spirit of selfishness or a spirit of fear or a spirit of pride or a spirit of sin, the church will falter. But if we live in such a way that the Lord Jesus is with our 
Spirit inspiring us, influencing us, indwelling us, we can do greater good than could possibly be imagined. Christ graciously offers to walk with us every step, but it's largely up to us to live into our saintliness more than our sinfulness. Because of this, I didn't know how the bicycle controversy was going to turn out. I spoke with staff about it. I spoke with lay leaders. I spoke with volunteers from the Sunday school class that had volunteered there and had voiced concerns. The sticking point was that our homeless friends refused to leave their bicycles outdoors overnight for fear that they might be stolen. While our church volunteers insisted that we could not host a ministry with bicycles all over the stairwell because it was a hazard, a liability, and a fire code violation. The problem did not seem too big to solve, but as Paul said, I find it a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. As the controversy wore on, I began to get a bit discouraged. But one Sunday morning, as I approached the church in my car, I saw a group of men outside the church building, right beside the door that served as the entrance to the homeless ministry. A couple of them were kneeling down on the ground doing something, and there were two or three others standing by. As I got closer in my car to the church, I recognized these men as members of the Sunday school class that had volunteered for the homeless ministry and then had voiced concerns about the bicycles. I thought to myself, what are they doing out there? I parked my car. I walked across the street toward the church and I saw three or four toolboxes on the ground. They were working on something right up next to the big exterior brick wall of the church building. When I got closer, I finally got a clear view. And I saw that it was a bicycle rack. The very people who had raised concerns about the homeless ministry had arrived early for Sunday school with toolboxes in hand so they could mount a bike rack on the side of the church building so our homeless friends could keep their bikes secure overnight without causing any undue issues in the interior stairwell of the church. The Lord was with their spirit. Looking back, I'm telling you honestly, I don't think there's anything our church could have done that could have made our homeless neighbors feel more welcome and loved in our church than mounting that bike rack on the side of our building. That's the kind of thing folks do when they're, you know, church people. Amen. Amen.